Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. I appreciate uh, you all lifting up that God-given instrument of the voice and, and praise to the Lord this morning. It's been such a blessing to me. And I ask that you turn with me to Acts the 15th chapter. We'll begin by reading several verses from Acts the 15th chapter. And uh, as you're turning there, I'll give you a slight amount of context on this chapter. Paul and Barnabas have departed to Jerusalem along with some others. Later we'll find out that one of those was either apparently Peter or Peter may have already been present there. But Paul and Barnabas have gone up to Jerusalem to instruct and teach the newly established church some of the principles of doctrine that they feel they ought to be taught. And as they arrive in Jerusalem, they're um, contested by a group of Pharisees who say that... um, the Jewish, the Jewish procedure of law is the only way by which one might be saved. There are various ways that they claim that. And uh, in verse 7 of Acts, the 15th chapter, we read, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So they're apparently sitting around perhaps in a circle, perhaps in another large group of people discussing these doctrinal principles. And apparently all the rest of them are standing around disputing. And Peter's sort of sitting back in the corner listening to all that's going on. And as they continue to dispute, this verse tells us that Peter rose up. He rose up from his sitting position and began to address these men who were disputing over these various principles. And Peter says, again, men and brethren. He distinguishes between men and brethren. I believe he recognized that some of these men were not his brethren. They they were all men, but apparently some of these men were not his brethren. He says, men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's one of the important messages that Jesus came with. And it was the message that I have children, I have people that I, will, that I will die for, that I will shed my blood for, that are outside of the nation of Israel. This made the people of Israel very angry because they felt as if they were, chosen, they were the only chosen people. And in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus presents this concept, when he says, but there were many, there were many widows in Israel during the time of you know, Elisha and Elijah, those various prophets, but... Who did the Lord send those prophets to? One of the women that he sent those prophets to was a widow, was the widow of Zarephtha, a foreigner, someone that the Israelites would have looked down on. But yet the Lord sent that prophet to that woman in a foreign country to minister to her and teach to her. And this made the Israelites so mad that they carried him out of the tabernacle. They took him up to the brow of a hill. We're going to cast him off, throw him to his death. But he passes through the midst of them, for it was not his time to die. It made them very angry. And Peter reminds us of this. He says, remember. Remember what the Lord came teaching. Remember what we teach. The Israelites are not the only people that are to hear the gospel, that are to hear of just the Lord himself. And he goes on in verse 8 and says, And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as He did unto us. You'll notice in the previous verse, the Gentiles heard the word of the gospel and they believed. 
Now, if these, if these men and women and perhaps most, most probably children believe the gospel, what does that tell us? Well, if someone, if someone is dead in sins, if, they, if we're told that Christ quickens us from spiritual death into life, you can read that in Ephesians, the second chapter. If someone is dead in sins, they cannot perform any spiritual action. If they have not been touched and brought to life by the power of God, they cannot perform any spiritual action. And here we have a group of people. They hear the gospel, they receive it, and they believe it. What does that tell us? That the Lord has brought them into spiritual life by the power of His Holy Spirit. These people have been born again. They are just a saved group of people. And the Lord looks at them and He sees their heart. And He bears them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as He did unto us. Now these people had already been saved. We already discussed that. But the Lord affirms what they did. By giving them the constant daily encouragement of the presence of the Holy Ghost in their lives. That's a distinction in Scripture. We read in Titus chapter 2 that we are not only regenerated by the Holy Ghost, but we are also renewed by the Holy Ghost. So not only are we brought from death to life, but we are continually renewed and encouraged by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives on a daily basis when we seek the Lord. These Gentiles were a group of people who were seeking out the Lord. I imagine by this time there are Gentiles all over the known world that began to believe in the gospel and act in the principles that the Lord taught. These people were afflicted. The Roman king, the Roman a kingdom afflicted them, fed them to wild animals, had them kill each other. They were persecuted. But yet they chose to follow the Lord in discipleship, and the Lord approved of that. And He sent down the Holy Spirit to encourage them on a daily basis. And in verse 9, He says, And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Peter is making a very important point in this verse. He is saying, under the Gospel, there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The Jews are not saved one way and the Gentiles another way. The Lord views all His children as the same. And that ought to tell us something very important right now. The Lord saves all His people the same way. Not only did He elect them and predestinate them to the adoption of sons before the world began, He also justified them on the cross by the shedding of the same blood for each and every one. And I assure you this morning that He borns them again. He brings them from spiritual death to spiritual life all in the same way. And it's not done by the Gospel. It's not done by a preacher. Praise God. Because sadly, this morning, if I believed that it was done by a preacher, I wouldn't be preaching to the majority of you all. I would be out preaching somewhere maybe in the Amazon where nobody had ever heard the gospel. I'd be out preaching somewhere in Africa where they, where they oppose the gospel or maybe another communist nation because I would want to be reaching people that the gospel would have an impact on. But praise God, I can stand here this morning on the authority of the Word of God and preach to you all and understand that it, that it can edify you and lift you up and instruct you in your daily walk with Jesus Christ because of the grace and mercy of God. And Peter says in verse 10, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? 
Peter admonishes these people who were trying to place a conditional salvation upon the Gentiles. He says, you're, you're strapping a yoke around the neck of these new believers. These people who ought to be your brothers in Christ are being dragged down by the yoke that you're placing upon their necks. You know, I had the opportunity to stick my head in an ox yoke one time. I know that sounds very strange, but it was at a demonstration of uh, some of the, uh, colonial, the colonial way of life. And I had the opportunity to feel and run my hands over an ox yoke. That's what is being spoken of here. It's something which goes around the neck, which holds one in place on a fixed path and is used to infer and speak of extremely hard labor. It could be used speaking of a slave yoke. Many times masters would put a yoke on the neck of their slaves so they had to labor in accord with another person. I mean, I submit to you this morning, Christ bore our yoke. You are not meant to be bearing a yoke of salvation on your own shoulders. Christ took that upon Himself. And Peter says, you are placing a yoke upon these Gentiles that I could not bear, that you could not bear, that none of our fathers could bear. Abraham couldn't bear it. Sarah couldn't bear it. Isaac couldn't bear it. Jacob or any of his twelve sons could not bear this yoke. The only one throughout history that has been able to bear that yoke has been Jesus Christ. And I submit to you this morning that He bore it out to the bitter end. He bore it out to death Himself. Death itself. As we continue to read in verse 11, Peter finishes his argument and says, But we believe... That through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. Peter is again saying, don't believe for one second that the Lord does not have the Gentile salvation as surely as He has your own. That is to say, let us not believe for one second that the Lord does not have the Old Testament saints' salvation as securely as he has ours with a complete with a very complete knowledge of the gospel you know we have an entire book speaking of the gospel but under grace the lord has the old testament saint salvation as surely as he has ours they didn't have a church to go to they didn't have anybody to preach to them they understood some things about the gospel you know when abraham went with isaac up to sacrifice upon Mount Moriah. The name that he entitles that mount after he comes down means it shall be seen. It shall be seen. Abraham understood something when he came down from that mountain. When he raised the knife over Isaac's head, an angel from the Lord called down and said, No, do not do this. Look in the thicket. There is a ram. That is your substitute. That is what will be slain. Abraham did understand something about the gospel. He didn't understand it as well as we made this morning because we have Scripture. But that does not mean that the grace of God could not reach him any less effectually than it does all of us here this morning. We're told in John the third chapter. Turn with me there momentarily. We'll read a verse or two from John the third chapter that tells us of the sovereignty of God in salvation. In John, the third chapter, in the eighth verse, we read, The wind bloweth where it listeth, 
and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. As we read this verse, I think of something that a story that I may have told before. The first time that I consciously remember this verse being read was when I was sitting out on our back deck. And my dad, Neil, was, was reading Scripture and he came across this verse. And he paused momentarily and he said, Can any of you see the wind? And it was a beautiful October day. And the wind was blowing back and forth and the trees were being tossed back and forth. The leaves were being blown across the yard. And I said, Daddy, that's silly. Of course I can see the wind. And he said, Oh, really? He said, you may can see the results of the wind. You may can see the trees being blown back and forth. You may be able to see the, the leaves swept back and forth across the yard, but you can't see the wind. You can only see the results of that wind. The wind may come in a gentle puff. The wind may come in a violent way that shakes the very foundations of what we know to be true. That shakes the very foundations of what we have done for the entirety of our lives. That is what the Spirit of God is like. We don't know where it's going to come or where it's going to go. But we can see the effects of that wind when it blows across the heart of an unregenerate sinner, of a dead sinner. And when it does, it brings life. Amen. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You know, David said, I was taught to hope upon my mother's breast as a small child. You know, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And faith is a fruit of the Spirit. If you go read in Galatians chapter 5, that means if David hoped in the Lord, the Spirit of God had given him faith. He had been quick in his spiritual life. That is an infant child upon his mother's breast. What about Saul of Tarsus? On the road to Damascus with his letter in his hand to lock up and persecute Christians, but yet a blinding light struck him to his knees, and it was there that he realized, I have been persecuting my Lord. The same Lord that's speaking to me now, I'm persecuting him. And he immediately became one of the most instrumental men in delivering the gospel to the known world at that time. Those are two diametrically opposed situations. But the Spirit of God reached both of those individuals. You can go read further accounts throughout Scripture. The account of John the Baptist leaping for joy in his mother's womb when he heard the voice of Mary, the mother of the Savior. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. John the Baptist leapt for joy in his mother's womb. What about the thief on the cross? In his last, in his last, just his last hours, on the end of a life of crime and shame as he as he was nailed to the cross and he cast curses and he railed against the Lord Jesus Christ. But in a moment, he was changed. And he asked the Lord, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord told him, today you shall be with me in paradise. What did he see in that man hanging next to him on the cross? The Lord was being treated like a common thief. Like another robber, like these men were, who had apparently through acts of violence seized the property of another. But yet the, the thief looked over to him and saw the Son of God in that maimed and beaten man. That's something that only the Spirit of God can do. This man's heart was changed. In closing, I rejoice in the understanding 
that Scripture provides how the Lord can reach someone in His grace regardless of their life situations, regardless of what they've done, regardless of whether or not they've ever heard the gospel preached. I rejoice in that. The end conclusion of that is that the Lord has a people that He has saved out of every nation, kindred, and people and tongue. Go read about it in Revelation chapter 5 and Revelation chapter 7, and we will read that the Lord has a people that is in, that are innumerable. We can't even understand the amount of people that he would, the amount of people that he has saved. That was not done through the efforts of man. That was done through the efforts of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for that this morning. Thank you for your time.